This week's episode is brought to you in partnership with Zero Procure. Zero Procure takes the time to understand your business, whether in hospitality or any other industry, and do all the heavy lifting when it comes to procurement. I'm delighted that their support will keep this show accessible and free to listen to wherever you access your podcasts. Please get in touch with them for a chat. Just click on the link in the show notes or visit their site at zeroprocure.com forward slash podcast. Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is Andy Aston, Head of Wellness and Nutrition at Contract Catering Legends, Baxter Story. Coming up on today's show, Andy does some name-dropping. Because to my left I think it was Mick Jagger, and to my right it was Peter Gabriel. Phil attempts to pioneer a new hypnosis technique. Going, 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 sleep. Going, 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 sleep. And Andy enlists some extra help to combat the staffing crisis. I've got uh, Stephen Fry doing the washing up for me. All that and so much more as we chat through Andy's incredible journey so far. There are loads of takeaways from Andy's story. He has had one hell of a career and has worked through some amazing and some tough times. We can all take inspiration from where he is now and the essential work he is doing on raising awareness of the importance of well-being. A huge thank you to Andy for telling his story so openly. It's so great to be back and I've got some cracking guests lined up for you to help you through the winter months. So please don't forget to help us out by giving this podcast a share with your networks. Let's get the world talking about our amazing industry. Enjoy. Today we're joined by Andy Aston. Andy, how are you? Hey, I'm good, Phil. Thank you. How are you? Yeah, really, really good. Long time, eh? It's been a long time. I was trying to think of the year that we um, we worked together. Was it about 2005, five, six? So, I uh, yeah, I, yeah. It was one of the first jobs that I had after coming off ships. So it would have been two four, two five uh, yeah. around about then. Yeah, which is nearly twenty years ago. I know. <laughs> you look good for it. Yeah, same, same, mate. You're doing, you're doing well. For those who are only listening to this, we're we're both middle aged men now, so um, yeah, we're uh, we're trying to look after each other. But uh, but in any case, how are you anyway? Yeah, I'm really, really well, thanks, um, Phil. It's been um, yeah, well, twenty years. Lots happened since that first kind of uh, first time we worked together. Um, so what do I do now? I'm, I'm head of wellness and nutrition for Baxter Story, independent caterer. Um, it's a great role. I'm not a nutritionist, but I I wanted to t- step away from being a chef, try something a bit different. So wellness and nutrition come hand in hand really so I've been doing that role for about two years now maybe a bit longer um, it's very different to being in the kitchen uh, it allows me to kind of look at the well-being of our of our employees you know making sure that we're doing all we can to you know give them a great environment to work in but also look at our clients as well and, and work on many bespoke nutritional programs for them and their teams uh, and the last couple of years it's been great we've done a lot of the online stuff where we had to during COVID um, and very beneficial we reached a very different audience um, and I've loved it. I've loved learning different things along the way, you know, bits about myself. In yeah. actual fact, the role actually helps me. You know, the role really helps me deal with, you know, my my own kind of mental health you know, journey. Um, it kind of keeps me calm and helping other people is always a good thing to do as well. So I love the role. It's really exciting. We're in an exciting period of time in the company. We're going through a lot of change, as a, as a lot of industries are. But 2023 um, is looking good. I think it's going to be positive. It's going to be tough, but it's... Um, I'm excited by what's to come, you know, and I think, um, it, yeah, yeah. So I'm really good. I'm really good. Yeah, good. Yeah, and I think the the thing, there's a couple of reasons why I, I've been excited and interested to have this conversation. One, because we know each other and we've we've worked together, albeit that's probably only about six months, but regardless. And actually what's great for me to see is is your journey from then, like and even before I knew you, there's obviously a journey before 
as well yeah. as to, to how you got there. Secondly, I think as well, because of the role that you're doing, that's not a role I've come across before. So it's quite, it's interesting to see that there's a little bit of innovation going on around like the need for wellness and nutrition and, and, and how nutrition plays its part in making sure you know, that, that, that the workforce, whether it's your own teams or whether it's the clients that you're looking after, you know, are, are being given what they need to do the best job that they can do. I think, I think it's important, Phil, because at the end of the day, you could sit there and you could have talks. Talking's great when it comes to kind of connecting with somebody. It's it's brilliant. You can really learn a lot about each other. But we try and make it a little bit fun. So we, we, we will work on something at the moment called a food and mood tour. We started yesterday, Milton Keynes, as I mentioned, and um, we're basically going around the business demonstrating nutritious plant-based food, but it's real. I'm there talking to a crowd of our people that work for us. And, um, you know, I talk about my own journey, which we'll come to today. We also, we, we, we talk about nutrition. So I go alongside with our nutritionists and we, we talk about the benefits of a nutritious diet and how it can help us through various stages of our career. And especially in the, in, you know, while we're working in the kitchen, you know, cause it's so easy to forget. So we're making it, I'm not going to, you know, fun might be the wrong word to use, but I think making it exciting and making it real, being authentic. It's really important to me to be authentic because I've not yeah. always been authentic. You know, I've always tried to skip around the fact that things might not be right. You know, find a way. Yeah, I'm great. So we make it real, but we give them a good outcome. You know, at the end of the day, there is help out there. There is, you know, we've got this in place in Baxter Story to allow you to kind of, you know, go away and do some research. So there's lots of positive um, ways we're looking at it. And we've done some great stuff on wellness. And it's, you know, we spoke earlier on, if I can keep talking, we spoke about, you know, we kept it all in. It was, you know, do you talk about your thing? Do you talk about that? We encourage that. And we really do encourage that. And, and it's we've, 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 we're getting some great feedback from the floor from the stuff we've done. And that's important because meeting yeah. somebody and hearing their story, you just might make their day and you just might be able to help them. So, you know, for me, that role is, for me, that's why I like the wellness at the beginning. And let's look at the wellness of everyone and making sure we can do what we can. Because if you've got a well team, and let's be honest, then the customer will get a great experience. Because I know, happy. right? Like, it's... Yeah. so blindingly obvious um, and to be honest I feel like ever since I've been uh, an adult and I've been kind of interested in leadership and all of that sort of st stuff that we've been talking about the importance of looking after your team like forever but actually it only feels like it's now that people are taking it seriously um, and you think to yourself why is it taking so bloody long I have a theory around that around the, the fact that it's the industry exploded in the last sort of 10, 15 years. And everybody got busy making money and forgot about actually protecting the process around that. And when, I mean, we're, we're going really deep quite early here, but actually, you know, if, if you forget about the making money element and actually focus on all the elements that lead you to that point, then you ultimately end up making more money anyway because you've protected every element of the process along the way 100 percent. if you've got to look after your team because at the end of the day that team around you will deliver on every angle if you're looking after them and they feel happy in their environment then only good things can happen and i think we did the industry did explode you know it was great there was there was so much going especially in the time we worked together that was a massive time you know there was yeah it wasn't about money money was money you know you could spend it and the, the, the reality was you moved so quick you and you built layers up you know businesses built layers up and those layers us as human beings have layers. And those, those layers then just are left there stagnating. And then before long, 10 years, 15 down the line, we think, hang on a minute, you know, what, why did we do this? Why did we do that? Let's revisit everything. And I think now more than ever, housekeep, doing a good housekeeping of your business, but also of yourself, 
it makes perfect sense. And yeah. if I'm finding out more and more and more, the productivity from somebody that's happy, as we know, is just incredible. And you feel that these days we're more aware of how people feel. I can go into some businesses and straight away I know when somebody's not feeling great. I can I can tell just from the energy coming off them. Right. You know, and that's my opportunity to grab that person. Let's have five minutes. I can't I can't fix the world. I can't fix them as an individual, but I can show them that I'm here and I care. Yeah. I think that's the bit. We've missed that human element of stuff. And we've really got to start focusing on that because now more than ever, as we go into the next chapter of this this crazy world we're in at the moment, we've got to make sure we're human and we're kind to each other. Because we we are, we'll be we'll be all right. We'll be okay, you know. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's a massive, it's a massive, it's a massive bit, and it is more relevant now. But you know, I could talk about this all day. I'm very passionate about it, and, and I'm, not, I'm not, you know, as I said, I'm not afraid to kind of speak up about it either. That's awesome. I, I can feel your passion uh, as well, which is really, really great. But I, I completely agree with you on the kindness front. I mean, kindness is not from a business perspective; it's not necessarily a short-term solution, right? It's it's, but actually, it is the long-term solution. That's ultimately. When you think about the business that we operate in, which is a human-focused business, so many elements of what we do for a, a living in this industry are based around human interaction. So protect that first. And yes, okay, you might see a short-term drop-off, but your long-term prospects are going to be amazing because also mm-hmm. that staffing crisis that exists in the world at the moment will just it will be eradicated because you'll be creating mm-hmm. workplaces that people want to come and work. It's, you know, but somebody's got to take the first step, right? And it sounds like you guys are. Yeah. But uh, yeah. anyway, yes, before we, I mean, we've gotten into what you're doing now quite early on, but actually, you know, there's a, what, this is what excites me about your journey is because to look at where you are now versus kind of what you've been through and, and all of that sort of thing, that's been really exciting for me to have this, this chat with you today. So take us back now, all the way back to the beginning. How did you get into hospitality in the first place? Um, my first girlfriend, I guess you could say the first love of my life, um, <laughs> probably about 14, 15, maybe. And, um, there was a little tea room. It was a tea room by day and then a little bistro at night. It was called Skewers Bistro. It was in, it was in Horsham in Sussex. Um, and I moved around a lot anyway, so I've probably jumped forward a bit already. Basically I've, I've cut out some of my life cause I did move around a lot. My mum was a croupier. So we moved all over the country, uh, never really settled down. Right. She actually loved cooking. So I did get my love of cooking from my mum and it, and it kind of, I probably, sorry, I've jumped forward a bit, but I remember there was one particular day, another school I'd been at, another school after about five or six schools up to the age of 13 or 14. So another school, I remember having a really tough day thinking, you know, you don't fit in. I don't have any friends. It was really, really tough. And I'd come home and there was one moment, I remember it was a sunny day and I walked into the kitchen, the music was playing. My mum had beautiful blonde hair. She was absolutely beautiful. And she had an apron on that was covered in flour. Um, the music was blaring in the background. There was a pot on the stove with a bone sticking out of it. And it, this was her famous ham, um, ham bone and rice soup, I think she called it, or something like that. But she was making that and she was so happy. And she touched my face and she went, I can just remember it now. I go back there, it's my anchor sometimes. And she touched my face, she said, son, it's great to see you. It's going to be a good day. Go and sit outside. We had the tiniest little pond. I'm going to call it a puddle. because <laughs> I used to call it a puddle. <laughs> and, I, and I remember sitting there. And she came up and she, she used to make black treacle scones because, you know, all my family are Scottish as well. So she made a black treacle scone with warm butter. She gave me that. And again, she gave me a little peck on the cheek. And I, and I thought, wow, this is incredible. You know, it made me feel so much better having food cooked by someone I love. And um, I, I ate that. And then she brought me a little bowl of soup. And back then, you know, there wasn't a lot of spices. So it was cracked pepper, loads of pepper in this soup. And it all split. And it felt amazing. But I just, 
that moment, when I go back into that kitchen and I, I feel the excitement of what's cooking, the smells, you know, the music, the, the sun coming, whatever it might have been, it just done something for me. But then, and then she, she used to roll her pastry out with a glass milk bottle, a Unigate milk bottle, if I can you know, promote Unigate. Right, yeah, yeah. She rolled it out. She never wanted the rolling pin. She'd roll it out and make a, a great apple pie with that. But I think that moment kind of said to me, well, if I can go, if, 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 if I can eat good food for a living, you know, and I was still fairly young, but I kind of had an idea of where I wanted to go because if I can make good food and eat good food and smell good food, surely this is a cool environment to work in, you know, and you can do anything you want. It's endless. Yeah. Um, and, that, and that's and, kind of... And essential as well, right? Like, like we need food to live. Yeah, we need food to live. And that's one thing about my mother. You know, she, my father left very young, walked out, and we didn't, we didn't really... Um, so, again, money was tight. Three kids. I've got a younger brother, a younger sister uh, who's disabled. And um, it was tough for my mum, but she could pull together something like many of us uh, parents can pull something together very very cheaply and that food it wasn't always about the food for me and I want to make that clear food is what we do in hospitality we've got to we've got to cook great food give great hospitality but for me the food part is a bit secondary it was the love I felt it was the emotional attachment I had to that moment you know I was so in the moment with feeling wow this is what food can do to you and that story kind of went with in my career creating food memories that make me feel you know, just make me feel connected to someone. So food is there secondary at that stage, but it's kind of the feeling it gave me in terms of the love and the attention to detail that goes into kind of giving someone a great experience. And I was, I was her son, but she was giving me a great piece of hospitality at that time. But she did that for me all the way up until I kind of moved out. She always made sure that I enjoyed what I had, but showered me with love as well. So I was a bit of a, you know, mum was my first love, I'd say, because she, because she, you know, I was the first born. So I was I was there on my own for that time until yeah. my brother came along, um, and that's that for me. As I've gone through my journey, has been priceless. It stays with me. It's part of my journey. So that was kind of the early part. The second part was that first job, Skewers Bistro, amazing place, a little deli, a little coffee shop by day, tea room, and then at night it would turn into like a little bistro. One chef in the kitchen, the husband was in the kitchen, and me, and um, three pans. And he used to do um, a chasseur sauce. He used to do a sauce robert, and he used to do something. I think it was a tomato, might be. Portuguese sauce, something like that. Three pans, that was it. There's four dishes on the menu. And at the end of the night, we weren't allowed to wash the pans. He used the same pans all the time. And at the end of the night, <laughs> don't wash them. He said, I've got a baguette in the I've got a baguette in the oven. He'd get two chairs in the kitchen. I'm not going to say what he yeah, anyway, he'd get two chairs in the kitchen, he'd get some wine out. I didn't touch the wine. And he would get the baguette, we'd have the pans in front of us, and we would just get the bread and we would scrape all the good stuff off those pans and sit there about midnight at night and I was very young at that stage I probably shouldn't have been working but don't let that stop you it was a great experience oh um, no and did it was the most amazing thing ever and I used to sit there eat this bread just all the good stuff from the pan it was just and that was kind of my first introduction to kind of like, I'm not going to call it a professional kitchen because it certainly wasn't <laughs> it was um, it was a brilliant brilliant experience really and so that's kind of those two experiences there were kind of very precious to me because I've never forgotten them I've achieved so much in my career that I've forgotten a lot of it, but I've never right. forgotten that piece. And there's the reason that, you know, it's important to me to remember those times. Yeah, but these are the these are the important moments, right? These are the things that define your path. Ultimately, you know, these are the, the, the things that make you go, wow, this is incredible. Like, and you know, especially as a as a young person, when you you know your experience is limited and all of these sorts of things, these moments are the most important part of your career. Because if you have a bad moment in that moment, then that that takes you away from that path probably forever. But you know that it's just it's the sliding doors moment, isn't it? You know, you you work for somebody who's not passionate about these three sauces, 
that he does, but actually you're getting a new food experience by doing what you're doing by sitting there at the end of service and mopping up all the uh, the the lovely stuff at the bottom of the pan. It was great, and 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 we got tips as well. You know, my first experience of service. You know, I'd have yeah. to take some food out to the restaurant, so I learned quite a lot in that period before I went on to the Daveley. So, yeah, I, I think um, it's not always like that. Unfortunately, it's a hundred miles an hour, as we said. But um, you know, hold on to those memories because you can still recreate them as you go. Especially if you're young going into a career, you can replicate those memories. You can take them into your environment. Don't let anyone yeah. stop you from you know saying no, no, no. You must do it like this. Try and you know try and find your own identity. So yeah, it's really yeah. important. I think it's it's massively important to to find the fun, right? That's the yeah. the most. That's the thing that will because every job will have its moments where you think, "What am I doing here?" But you need to be able to, in those moments, kind of go within and and as you say, remember the the good times, remember why you're here in the first place. And if it's something is not right, then talk to somebody about it or change it or whatever you know. And uh, but yeah, always find find the fun. And then you'll, uh, you know, you'll just be having fun all the time. Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, listen, it's never, it's, it's, it's tough to find the fun times these days. But I think it's how you, as a leader, implement that and make it number one. You know, at the end of the day, leadership's so important now because we've all got to make money, we've all got to do, we've got to pay bills, we've got to please our customer. But let's try and make it as, you know, as 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 as, as nice as possible for our teams and for ourselves. Because at the end of the day. We've got to feel good as well, you know. Yep. We've got to be feel good because we we've got to lead by example. And there's going to be days where we're not feeling great, and that's when yeah. you've got to find yourself and, and and you know make sure you're true to yourself as well. If you're not feeling great, take yourself out of the firing line. You know, yeah. don't push that onto your team. Yeah, absolutely. So, are we um are we at the chip shop yet? In your are journey, we the chip shop runs a bit place. No, we can go. Let's go into the chip shop. So. <laughs> Because, so yeah, we probably uh, need about four hours to go. <laughs> well, when I was um, the form that you very kindly filled out, my my pre-show questionnaire, uh, I've started doing this now because actually to get a heads up on some of the moments, actually make sure that we don't miss gold. And I read your little piece, and I just I had a chuckle to myself. There's a story here for sure, um, but uh, yeah, off off you go, as Graham Norton would say. Yeah, so it was funny. So, um, yeah, as I said, I um, all my family are Scottish. I was I was taken out to my mum went to move to the Lake District where I was I was born. Three or four years went back to Scotland and back. To, it was kind of two and four, but I went to live with my grandparents again. So I, I mentioned earlier on I was in Horsham. So I also I moved between Edinburgh and Horsham quite a lot. So in this one particular time, I was a bit of an entrepreneur when I was. So I went to I think I went to the final year of school. So up in Scotland, it might have been fifteen, is it? Fifteen, six. I can't remember now. But I went for a few months of school. And in that time, I wanted to make money. So my mate Andy Kennedy um, said, look, I've got a job in a chip shop, Brunswick Place, end of Princess Street. And uh, <laughs> oh dear. Um, I said, yeah, let's go for it. <laughs> I don't know if those of you might watch. You're, you've you set, like to... you're setting that up perfectly with little comments like, oh dear. Like you're just, because yeah, you're reliving it now in your mind, don't you? Like, oh, yeah. I can remember every moment of it. I remember my first night, the, 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 the chap that was the manager there, big guy with gray hair. He had a cat in the back. Back the, the cat used to walk by your feet, and uh, he's 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 um he would make you. So when you when you're doing a bag of chips for somebody, he'd always make sure the chips were fresh out the fryer. So you wouldn't put them into that tray they had. You know, you'd have the paper. You had to roll the paper. You know, they're like cone shape. Yeah, yeah. You throw them in hot in your hand, hot all the time. Right. I just remember. I, I just remember that. But that chip shop job was absolutely hilarious because it was about eighty. I don't know, 86, 87, maybe something around those times. And it was when England, Scotland were just playing their last football match. The Cal- was it the Calcutta? I don't know what they used to call it. But 
I'm Scottish. I consider myself to be a Scotsman without yeah, yeah. an accent. Right. Yeah, because I'm, 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 I'm Scottish. So they're, yeah. all, they, they're all from Scotland. They were born in Scotland. So I'm up there in my little wink. Because I kind of had a twinge of Scottish. I had a tinge of, you know, Lancashire. I had a tinge of Sussex. I, I, I kind of, you know, I was a bit confusing to listen to. Probably, probably am now. Um, <laughs> but I remember, my, I remember my first night. It was absolutely brilliant. Me and Andy, we probably, we, it was so busy. But it was a football game. So all these, these Scots were coming in. And naturally, someone heard my accent. And, you know, I won't say, say what they, they call me that night, but I tried to speak Scottish. Um, and if you've ever tried to hear an English, well, somebody with an accent like mine trying to speak Scottish, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let the listeners go. Oh, go please. Now. Oh, no, you have oh, to. Honestly, Phil, it was terrible. They were trying to jump over the counter um, to get to me and everything. But that all serious side of it, it was, it was hospitality, a different side of hospitality. But I remember the experience I got from that was the fact I was earning money. And I know we had a giggle about it, but, um, and I can't speak Scottish. So, but earning my, earning my money there was brilliant. And I probably stayed there for about six months, you know, but it just proved that you can go into any type of environment and still have a laugh. Yeah. You know, albeit I nearly ended in, it nearly ended in a bit of a, um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> it nearly I ended see, in I see you Jimmy moment. I see you Jimmy moment. But yeah, I, I remember saying, because if you remember in chip shops, in chip shops, you get fish, chip sauce, don't you? So you got salt, salt and vinegar. Or, is it salt and vinegar? No, chip. You get um, brown sauce, isn't it? Brune sauce. You get that on your chips. It's quite runny. Yeah. And I tried to say brune, brune. I was going, would you, would you like some brune sauce? <laughs> would you like some brune sauce? And actually, yeah, that was it. So all, all my hemcores. But you know what? It was a great time. And I loved that experience. And I think that working there, kind of that entrepreneurial spirit I had from a very young age. Because from there, this is another funny story. It's not on this. But and Andy's mum used to work for Lacoste. And she used to get given the, the little badges and buttons. God, right. I hope she did. Um, <laughs> anyway, we would go to um, Pound Stretcher, which I don't know if it's still around, shop called Pound Stretcher, and buy £1.99 polo t-shirts. And then we would sew the Lacoste badge on and the buttons as well and sell them for a tenner. So we were very entrepreneurial back then. It was a good, living in Scotland when I had this accent, it was, it was yeah, it was tough because, you know, kids were tough. And, but yeah. you know what? It probably it helped me. It helped me kind of look at, toughen me up a bit, but also helped me look at, you know, my entrepreneurial skills. Yeah, I, ju- I think the, the toughen up thing is um, is an interesting perspective, isn't it? Because there's definitely, I think there's a balance to be had. Like you don't want to be in a constant state of bullying, but equally having a little bit of adversity when you're uh, a kid is useful, very useful. Yeah, yeah. Listen, I I don't condone bullying or anything like that at all. I think no. it's, it's, it's terrible, but kids are kids, you know. But there has to be a time when, you know, you need to step away because that trauma, we'll go into that a bit later, but trauma, when you're younger, is part of a lot of people's stories as they get older because we're able to hide it when we're younger. You know, if something happens to us, we lose a family member or friend or an animal, whatever it might be, when we're younger, we can kind of just, you know, yeah, we're right, we can crack on with it. But again, you're adding those layers, as I mentioned earlier. So mm-hmm. it's very, um, now more than ever, when I hear about it, it makes me a bit sad because I want to stop it because, you know, now it, kids can be quite, the kids are cruel, it's what we do, you know, Sometimes it's meant, sometimes it is. So it's those it's those layers that worry me because do we speak enough of it to our children? I don't have children, but do we speak enough to it when they're younger to deal with anything that might happen? You know, an animal dying, even now, me as an adult, I haven't put my cat down the other week. I cried my eyes out. Am, yeah. I, am, I, am, I, am I kind of, a, people say, you cried over a cat. I bloody yeah. love that cat. That yeah, cat wait till you have a cat your own. That cat was with me all through my, 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 my tough times. And it was always there, unjudgmental, et cetera. Kids can kind of, that can damage a child and, and, and it can kind of stay with them for a long time and, and it'll come out eventually. Um, so it's really important that, you know, as kids, we do make sure that they talk about their feelings as well. Mm. Yeah, 
Absolutely. So beyond the chip shop, what happened next? What happened next? Good point. Oh, about a long time ago. <laughs> um, you can, you can uh, move. F- well, I suppose because at yeah. this point, I've always known you like a, as a as a chef. Like, that's in my head. Andy Aston as a chef. Yeah. Obviously, you've got a lot more strings to your bow these days mm-hmm. than than you had just by being a chef. Yeah. But how did you make that move? How did you become a chef in the first place? Well, first of all, so I did. I talked about the bistro piece, you know, eating out the pans early on. Yeah. But on top of that, I also spent six months going to and fro Burnley Football Club because I wanted to play football. Um, uh-huh. But I wasn't quite up to the standard. Or well, I was pretty good, but I wasn't dedicated enough. And I wasn't. that wasn't really what I wanted to do. So from there, I actually then did an apprenticeship doing screeding, you know, screeding the floors of supermarkets by hand God. so yeah. i was very i was very a very a fit young man i was only lots of money cash in hand back in those days and it was it was great but in the back of my mind it was always temporary because i'm a firm believer that each one of us has loads of careers in us you know whatever we do now if you wanted to change you can go and do something else and again it goes back to the bistro piece so once i've done that i got a, a job i wrote to a load of restaurants in london and hotels my, my, my auntie used to work at the Grover house on the switchboard so i went and started just one day got up with my knife box I went there about 17. I'd come back from Scotland. I uh, went to London with 500 quid. Uh, stayed with my aunt in Victoria. Um, and then I got a job at, um, where did I get a job? Uh, Quaglinos, I think it was. All right. Stayed yeah. at, I did, I mean, listen, I, I don't remember much about the time there. It was crazy. And then I kept looking. And then I ended up working at the Regent, the Regent London, which is now the, the landmark. Ah, okay. So yeah. I'm, I'm a, guy called, a chef called Rao Porciani. Massive hotel in, 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 in great. I really enjoyed that time there. Um, I think John Burton Race was in the restaurant with two stars. It was a great time. Bloody tough. Didn't earn a lot of money. London was a lonely place. So I did that about three, four years. Um, and then what did I do after that? Well, fast forward. So I did um, I did college as well. So I did college day release. I didn't, don't talk too much about college because I enjoyed it. But I think I got more, it was more of a necessity. And I'm not yeah. saying that college isn't right. College is 100% right. Now I look back on it. You know, it is very important to get the fundamentals and the groundings right. But I wanted to be out there and, and, and having fun, you know. So um, yeah, it's that's, yeah, that's that. the thing, isn't it? It's it it's a different. Everybody's brain's different in how they consume yeah. information and all of that sort yeah. of thing. Some people, and it sounds like you're one of these these people. Mm-hmm. You just wanted to be kind of learning on the job, as it were, and uh, yeah. and just cracking on that way. Yeah, and I, I didn't. I, I'm, I'm a practical person. I don't enjoy going into classrooms and stuff like that. Um, but I think for me, I, I knew my route when I was younger. I didn't really want to work in. I tried Michelin restaurants. I tried hotels. I, I worked for years in a hotel. I tried little bistros. I wasn't really enjoying it as much. And, and you know, and that's hence why I, I fell into contract catering. Uh, so yeah. I fast forwarded quite a few years to 1999, being one of the opening chefs for the Millennium Dome. Now we're two. <laughs> oh, I don't want to cover as well. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so I mean, that was a weird one because it's like, you know, I was in there for about seven months prior to opening and, and I, I didn't have a clue what was going on. There was an exec chef there, obviously number two. And we, we, we used to feed all the dancers. We used to do the green room, all the celebrities and stuff like that. And then the chef left just before Christmas and I was left on my own, you know, free restaurants. Um, yeah. So what, what was, because obviously it's it's the O2 now and it's it's compl- yeah. like a completely different place than, than it was yeah. when it, it originally opened. So what did what did you open with? What did I open with? So we kind of, we were feeding at the time, all the, all the, so it was a contract caterer. We were feeding um, um, all the dancers at the time. We were also feeding the builders because we were trying to get opening time. Um, right. Yeah. Um, we were trying to get open. That was, you know, that was crazy. The three, three months leading up to opening that, I didn't go home. 
you know, I kind of just was there on the job, like a lot of the builders were, because we had this pressure from government, get it open, get it open, get it open, spend, yeah, spend, spend. Yeah, of course, spend. it was government-backed, wasn't it, at uh, the time? It was, it was crazy. So we opened that. I mean, it was a team, because the Caterized Whiff had lots of different arms to it. So there was lots of people at different sides of the, the area doing restaurants, and we were doing a specific area for us as well. And probably had a team of about 30, chef-wise, but with a sole sole job to feed the dancers. You know, that was one of the key jobs to feed because they used to have a show in the middle of the dome. And if you ever went there, they had the show where you had all the dancers doing their bits. So we would feed them right. three days, three days, three three times a day, and then any celebrities that came in. So that was in the days of the riders and stuff like that. So yeah, I can't remember too much. It was a blur because of, I was very young. I was 26 years of age. Right. You know, I'd missed out years of cooking, and now all of a sudden I'm trying to open this great big project. And um, trying and what to level? Understand what level were you at? What was your... your... I, was, I was probably fast track to a head chef, exec chef. Really? Jesus. Because of, the, because, of the right. because of the situation we were in, you know, it was just, it happened. And, and that's where I don't have any regrets in life anymore, but I lost a lot of years of cooking in my decision making. I learned how to manage and I learned how to delegate and do stuff like that. But I lost a lot of my cooking and that kind of stayed with me a long time, the confidence part. Right. But that's not a bad thing. So, yeah, 1999, the night comes along, everyone thinks the world's going to end and all that business. You yeah, know, Millennium um, Bug. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Millennium Bug. I'm yeah. kind of um, got my team together. We're feeding, we've got Jules Hond, his crew there. And then in the green room, we're only meant to do 20 people. I think we did 150. So I picked Charlotte Church up. If you remember Charlotte Church, the Welsh singer, she was about yeah, yeah. 13 or 14 at the time in my little golf buggy. So I picked her up and I was dropping her around. And then I've got uh, Stephen Fry doing the washing up with me. Um, <laughs> I've got Mick, Mick Jagger, kind of, not Mick Jagger, sorry, um, Mick Hucknall, Simply Red over there doing his bits, and Heather Small singing in the corner. And I remember just being, being there cooking, thinking, this ain't bad, is it? You know, this is, this is yeah. like this. Surrounded by some Stephen Fry, what a lovely bloke, but they're in there washing up. And that was probably, that was that was a really, really, really interesting night, a really interesting night. But again, another insight into a different side of hospitality, you know, something very, very different. For you know, sure. The, ride, the riders were there, you know, the cause. They wanted a case of Guinness. No, they wanted a fridge of Guinness and they took the fridge with them. So when they leave, they take it all with them. You know, it's not like they, yeah, it was brilliant. It was a great, it was a great, great time. But the funny part about it all, so I was probably there about seven or eight months. I didn't stay long after January. I was going to start up a new company, but it was one night. It was a funny moment if we move on to that bit. It was, yeah. um, I was, can I say taking a pee? Well, I've said it now. Um, of course. So, yeah, yeah. so I, I was in, I was, I was in the jets taking a pee after a very hectic session and I was singing to myself. Um, and I don't know what I was singing, but it was, it was, um, I used to sing to myself. I used to get me out of my crazy head. And um, I looked, two gents came in. One went one side, one went the other. And I, and I just kept on singing. And I just remember a little bit of giggling going on. I looked to my left. I thought, hmm. Looked to my right. I thought, okay. Keep, I kept going. If you remember that scene from The Hangover, when the um, <laughs> guy goes into the toilet and he's having a pee and the tiger roars and he looks around and he carries on peeing and he looks around again and goes, what the hell? And runs out of the room. Well, that was me because to my left, I think it was Mick Jagger. And to my right, it was Peter Gabriel. My God. Just staring at me. And it was quite, and then just outside the door, I didn't put it on the form, was Ruby Wax, who was <laughs> waiting for it was waiting for one of them to get their autograph. So right. that was quite that was quite a funny moment. It was you know, it's quite a funny moment. Two of the most iconic, you know, singers of what, what we know, just listening yeah. to me having a So basically myself. if um if somebody ever asked you what your claim to fame is, you said I, I um had a pee and sung to Mick Jagger and Peter Gabriel. Yeah, exactly. I didn't get the job. Um, but I know what, there's another one I did put on there. I remember taking out Michael Flatley once on Oxford Street, but that's another story. Michael Flatley, the single order, the, the, the dancer, whatever it was. 
<laughs> when when you say taken out, you mean like to yeah, you, you don't take him no. out like a rugby tackle. Yeah, no, I took him out. I was on. I was doing a sales job in Oxford Street. I had to go and get some plates from uh, one of the stores there, and I, I remember come flying out and I hit him, and he just went down like that. A couple of security guys were on top of me going, "What are you doing?" I said, "I don't know." Well, this is Michael Flatley. I said, "I don't care. I've got a sales job. You know, I'm off." Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, oh, we've got loads of stories. If you've got a load of chefs on there, you would hear some funny stories. Oh, yeah, okay. I can only imagine. Yeah, yeah. But that's, that's one of the things that I love about one doing this podcast, but two, generally just speaking to people who've made hospitality their career. You don't yeah. have to go digging too deep to get these moments of fun and you know mentalness and you know just the these moments where you, a lot of people would go, God, if somebody hadn't told me that that had happened, I'd have thought you'd have made that up. Yeah, yeah, and honestly, I, I, I caught up a friend last night, and some of the stuff yeah, reminded me of it's like, well, yeah, we'll leave that for another day. But um, <laughs> that's why it's good. Chefs never, you know, you, you make you make friends in this industry for a long time, and yeah. you might not see each other like you. We haven't seen each other for that length of time, but you can pick up again. You feel comfortable in each other's company, and that's the nice thing about this industry. You know, it's you, you feel com- comfortable talking to each other even yeah. after all this time. No. Indeed. Absolutely. Well, I mean, that's a, a, that's one of those jobs that I think that people would look from the outside looking in and go, wow, that's that's incredible. And especially at that time to open it, mm-hmm. you know, would must have been, as you, well, as you said, quite, quite incredible. But also, you know, it's just a hamster wheel, right? You're just going, 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 sleep, going, 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 sleep, maybe a bit of food in between sometimes. But um yeah you, yeah, you don't, you don't, the thing is, again, that's another part of the journey, you know, you're there, you're, you're pleasing everyone, but you're not realising that underneath it all, you're kind of, you're starting to suffer, because you haven't focused yeah. on yourself, you don't yeah. open it, you, you're not looking at, you're not doing everyday things that a normal person would do, you know, like go to sleep, eat breakfast, you know, talk to family, friends, you know, do stuff, you were just focusing on making sure that job's right, Yeah. you know, because you're happy, because you're like, wow, I'm 26, I've got an exec shift job, I'm opening this, look at me, and I'll walk around, I'll, I'll, I was like the king. The yeah. reality was I, was I wasn't being paid enough and, and it wasn't, it was, I shouldn't have been in that position personally yeah. because it was just circumstances threw me into it. So I took that, ch- I took that chance, but again, I, I, w- I was neglecting myself at that stage already. So, yeah. And I think that that's, again, that's a, about finding a balance again, isn't it? Because you, you don't want to turn down an opportunity like that. When does that mm-hmm. ever come your way again? But also then you've got to have, I suppose, the, the, the confidence within yourself to know, right, what am I falling short on here? What do I need? What am I not doing to myself that I should be doing? And all of these sorts of things that maybe in the moment you just get caught up in it because it's like, wow, somebody's asked me to do this job. Nobody else in the world is doing this right now. You know, So it's very easy to get kind of starry-eyed about stuff like that. And I suppose critically, it also depends on the company you work for because I think mm-hmm. I've spoken about this a lot with lots of people through their journey is that Many, many people who've got something about them, who have got capability and drive, find themselves in positions that they don't think they're ready for, which is fine. That's natural. That's going to happen. But you need the company to back you in these moments. The company can't just go, right, there's a job, off you go. You know, you yes, there's going to be an element of learning when you're out, out of your depth, but you need to know that there's a safety net under you that in the, the moment where you get like, this is beyond me now, I don't know what I'm doing you've got someone to turn to, to, to be able to help you get through that moment. Yeah. Cause it's lonely when you're at that stage, you, you, you almost lose your brigade because you're always suddenly thrown into the spotlight. But what I would say is this, now I look back and I haven't done a lot of work on myself. 
you know, taking yourself out of your comfort zone is the best thing you can ever do. It's the most scariest thing you could ever do, yeah. but it's the best thing you can ever do because it does open so many amazing opportunities that might you might not have got to. Now, sometimes it's circumstantial. You know, you end up doing something, but it's it's about not putting pressure on yourself. Do that to the best of your ability. You know, and, I, and again, I only know this now looking back. At the time, you know, when I, when I was in my depressive state, I blamed everyone for everything. You know, it was everyone else's fault. You know, and it was not, it was, it was, you know, I didn't hold people accountable. And that's the, that's one thing that I'm thinking about now. If somebody says to me, we're going to be doing this to you, you're going to get that job, you're going to be doing that, you're going to be doing that. I hold them accountable for every single message they've given me. Mm. I'm not afraid to speak up about that because at the end of the day, it's, it's too easy for me to say, there you go, Phil, there's a great job. There's that much money. Off you go, crack on. And then just, you know, leave you to it. Yeah. My job as a leader, as a boss, is to make sure that you're set up for success, but also, that I help you along that way. And sometimes you're not. Sometimes you can be left. People assume you know everything and you you, you pretend that you have to know everything. But the reality that, is- That's the thing, of, isn't it? None of us know everything. So yeah, at the end yeah. of the day, you've just got to be honest with you. If you're honest and honest with yourself and honest with, your, you know, with how you do that job, um, listen, it's it's. I think as I've got older, the more and more I look back on it, it's it's. I look back on it with quite, I'm happy, but I'm also- I'm also aware of the fact I blamed a lot of people, you know, for, for where I was. And right. that's the bit that I've, I've had to do a lot of work on, you know, because at the end of the day, I, I made decisions, you know, and if something didn't go right or whatever, you know, I, I have to hold myself accountable as well sometimes. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's it's, it's an interesting topic, that one. Probably the way, probably could talk about that a bit longer. but Yeah, well, we'll, we'll get to that, I, I think, because this is probably in the fullness of your story will come mm-hmm. to a head at a particular yeah. moment in any case, and we'll, we'll, we'll get to that as it comes up. But at post-02, or Millennium Dome, as it was known at the time, what, what happened next? So I went, and worked for, I went and worked for Russian Associates, so part of Compass, so that was coming over from New York. So I was part of the opening team at a big bank in London, which, to be honest with you, those 10 years, so that from 2000 and kind of, I'd say 2000 to 2000, probably seven or eight, maybe nine, were a good time. You know, that time in contract catering was electric, you know, and I felt at the time, you know, it was really, really, the food scene was just blowing up around London. It was getting bigger and bigger, but especially in catering, you know, contract catering, it it always had that stigma against it. It was, you know, this, that, and the other. Yeah, sandwiches and salads. Yeah, sandwiches and salads. And listen, sometimes it is, but but, but it was more than that. I found it more than that. Some of the... Some of the stuff we were doing back then was incredible. You know, we had the opportunity to really change the, you know, the, 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 the kind of face of contract catering. And I felt, I loved that time. Um, I loved that time because it was, the first one was that big investment bank. And then I was part of kind of moving that company forward with a great team of people, not just me, there was loads of us in there. Yeah. Um, it was, it was, it was exciting. It was fun. It was educational. There was skills training. There was travel. There was accolades. There was everything. There was everything yeah. you'd want from a career, but in a very short window. You know, it was a very seven or eight years where we achieved so much. Hence where I met you, you know, we'd go around opening contracts and then you would jump in and out of them and see them and set it up and you'd be off again. Yeah. Um, but it was very, 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 it, it was fast, fast. Yeah, fast. yeah. I, I remember, I've taught, I've spoken about this on the, the podcast as well, around my time in, in contract catering. Restaurant Associates, at the time when I joined them, I, I they may well still be this way, I don't know, but they were, they were kind of the pinnacle of... Uh, contract catering at the time in terms of the the level of contracts they were getting it absolutely was not sandwiches and salads there was an element to the business of course the day-to-day but the the caliber of the food that we were producing for directors dinners in the evenings and and things like that 
And actually, I've spoken to somebody else about this uh, around the fact that I've, I've even got a cookbook. I'm looking over there because I think it's up on that shelf uh, called Hidden Chefs. Yeah. And it's actually from all it's from chefs within the world of contract catering because the caliber of food that they're producing is Michelin standard. There's no question about it, but they don't get the the, the kind of the spotlight on them as being uh, incredible chefs because they're you know they're not the you can't just walk in off the street uh, hidden away yeah. and it's a conversation i've had recently you know we we, we in backstory again we've got some incredible talent we've got some incredible kitchens we are part of the high street we're just not recognized at that level yeah um, and that's the difference but back then when you had that it was all very new to have that that level of corporate dining within your building was was, was, was something else you know and yeah. it, all, it all almost got to the stage where it was better than new york and better than america because it was it was you know the chefs were cooking at the highest level and it was great it was a great time to be in catering being contract be part of that journey i mean for me like i said you know i probably achieved so much in that time i can't remember half of it but that was also a time of things were building you know things were building up inside me you know things were happening and and i didn't recognize it you know i'd be saying yes to everything in that yeah. time because you're successful you'd be saying yes to go to a job in dublin um well, but you meant to be at hampton court doing a dinner and then all of a sudden you're kind of like this because you won an accolade last night you know you're you're you want it over there that person wants you it almost becomes you become public property and i'm not saying right. that from an ego yeah. point of view not egotistic at all but that's how it felt and so you say yes to everything and then you started letting people you know you didn't turn up or because you had too much on and, and stuff like that so while it was for me personally it was an exciting time it was also it, it was the start of my downfall should i say my my not downfall my kind of bang in the road my bump in the road yeah my I, moment. I, I was i was going to say I, I absolutely wouldn't brand it as a as a, a downfall moment it's probably <clears throat> wouldn't think you wouldn't think this at the time when you're going through it but it's probably the best thing that ever bloody happened to you 100 percent. It's it, listen I, I, I know we're moving jumping in and out but you know as i said the success was there i i loved that period it was a great period of time you know it was just everything was going smoothly but again you know i was moving all over the place i had rooms in kent had a room in sussex had a room in london Right. I'd get home some days, not knowing where I lived. Where do I go tonight? Um, yeah. you know, I'm, only earning, I'm only earning this much money, but I've got three rooms. <laughs> like, it was it was all a bit chaotic. Yeah, you know, it was, coming, it was becoming very chaotic towards that sort of time. So if I fast forward a bit more, so 2007, eight. So that's when I had a big operation. Um, I'm not going to go into it too much on here, but I had a big operation which kind of knocked my confidence. Um, I kept it quiet for quite a long time, and, and I and I carried on. You know, as you always do, you carry on. Yeah, this the show must go on. You know, and, yeah. and um, stiff upper lip, kind of. You mm. know, yeah, I'm strong. Look at me, I can do. Yeah, this. that happened to me. But I think it was, I think it was about. It might have been about January, December time. I had the operation, and it was quite a big operation. But then, you know, I kept it under wraps. But then I went back to work, and then it was one Sunday. I remember sitting in the office, you know, on a Sunday for God's sake. But that was my decision. I made that decision to go in, and I got a call saying, you know, your mum's on the last right. So I'm thinking, well, what's happening here then? You know, it's. It's uh, she's 56 years of age. You know what's going on. So yeah. I'd have to drop everything. Um, I know we've moved forward a bit, but I had to drop everything and kind of get to Edinburgh. And basically, she she had she'd had um, she'd had a bit of cancer. She hadn't told us, but she'd also had a stroke. And I remember that moment being at the bed there. I was told that she's probably going to go any time now. My sister's disabled. I mentioned earlier, but this is my moment. This is my moment where it was all going to come to kind of you know. But I remember sitting there holding her hand, and I didn't leave her bed for three days because every time she said she's going to have a last breath, she breathed again. So I had hope, sadness, hope, sadness, yeah. hope, sadness, hope, like that for three days. And then finally the last breath came and it was like, I'm coming, I'm shaking, come on, you can do it, you can do it, come on. She's gone. My sister's had like a mini little 
um, fit. She's got into kind of a fit. They've had to take her to hospital. So it's almost like I'm an out-of-body experience and like that. And I'm thinking, okay, fight or flight. I need to kind of, I need to work this out now. Right, Laura needs to be looked after. Mum's gone. Brother's there. Um, right, got organised funeral. Not thinking about me again. <laughs> but then that was the kind of start for me. And, and I just had my operation, as I said to you, a couple of months before. Yep. So I, I, I was in this state of, I need to forget this. Let's go and find some drink. Get drunk. Forget about really? it. Really? Right. And I need, and so we went, you know, we went to the Fringe Festival to laugh because that's what I thought was the best thing to do. Yeah, it was at the time of the Fringe and in Edinburgh, and um, but that was where that moment there. I went into overdrive for two years up until about two thousand and nine. But in that period, there were dark days where I wouldn't go to work for a week. You know, I'd be, I'd, I literally couldn't leave the house. I was so depressed. Right. Um, in that little period there, and naturally it got to the point where you know, you kind of your job. You know, at the end of the day, you're not turning up. But I couldn't speak up. You know, they knew people knew what was going on, but I hadn't told them all of it. You know, I just said mum's died, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, this is what I'm going through. But I was going to Scotland every weekend as well to look after my sister. So I really put so much pressure on myself because I thought that was the right thing to do. Yeah. But the reality was, my layers were so my layers were about here now, they're about there by my chin. I had so many layers of trauma running through my body that it was like something's going to give, but it didn't. You know, so. I mean, by day, my life, I won an accolade in 2010. And I remember that night, I won this big act. I can't remember what it was, but that night, I remember winning it. And um, I remember the next day, I spent probably two days at the gra- in, in, in the graveyard. I used to go to the graveyards. So at night, I would just go to the graveyards and just um, sit there and cry. That's all I did. And then get up in the morning, head up, go to work. Yeah, 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 yeah. look at me. You right. know, good. Yeah. That was my experience for quite a few years. Right. You know, it was, it was a really, really tough, tough time, but I continued working until. You know, now ultimately I was let go because, you know, I did good service to the company, but I wasn't speaking up about what was really going on. So I thought the best thing to do is to walk away from it all, walk away from a big job, you know, and not have anything. And, that, and, that, and that's what happened. And then that was with me, that I was carrying all this with me, this burden. You know, my sister was a real burden. It was becoming really tough for me to kind of control things. And um, I think it got to the stage where, again, I drink too much, 100%, get rid of this pain, take me somewhere to get me away from this pain. I don't care about work. I didn't care about anything. I'd eat and I'd eat crap. You know, I'd, I'd literally yeah. go off and buy rubbish and sit there eating stuff. So but I'd do it on my own. I never did it in front of people. I wouldn't eat in front of people. I'd eat and just keep eating. So I started, my weight would balloon. You know, I, I got to the stage where I was pretty big and, um, but still trying to find my way back. You know, rather than taking a break, I was trying to get jobs and I got some little jobs here and there for, for other caterers and people took a chance on me. But a big lesson there was, I found about that it was very tough to find a way back into old friendships. You know, I find it, I'm not going to name any names because I'm not blaming anyone, but I found myself pretty much isolated. Um, people remembered, you know, Andy is going absent without leave, not remembering the service, not yeah. remembering the 10 years that came before that. Yeah. And, and again, that bit, if I fast forward quickly, we do that too much today. We focus on the negative. We focus on people's failures, people's, people's mistakes rather than focusing on all the good things they do. Yeah. So I read that period then was really tough, really tough for me because I couldn't find a way back. I recently got married, <laughs> got married, and you know my poor wife had to put up with quite a lot. And then 2014, it all finally came out. You know, I kind of went missing. Um, I kind of travelled to Scotland on first class. I travelled the railways. I went a bit mad. I travelled the railways for three weeks, travelling first class. Didn't know what I was doing. I was found in Edinburgh, at a place I used to go as a child with my mum, the quiet place. And to be honest, year I was probably going there to, to die. That, that's that's kind of the reality of where I wanted to be. I wanted to be at peace and I couldn't find a way back and I just wanted to be close to my mum. 
I couldn't I couldn't find any space for me to deal with how I was feeling. I always felt surrounded by people, but I didn't feel like I was actually there. I just felt like I was in another world. You know, people right. around me, but I couldn't kind of get it. But thankfully, the police found me, and I was taken home. And um, yeah, um, I did that. That that started the that started the kind of um, the, the the kind of me going back, finding my finding my way back into the world again. Really, that moment. You know, who goes missing on the railways for three weeks? You know, you just kind of traveling first class. You know, why not? <laughs> um, yeah, but, but you know what? I, I I think the message here, Andy, is uh, it's so important mm. because. I think every, a lot of people out there will be thinking to themselves, yeah, this will never happen to me. Like, you know, and I, I know for a fact, I, I was always one of those people as well. And granted, I had my moment as a younger man, but the I went through a horrific breakup, which I didn't see coming. And I was traveling on my own at the time. And I just didn't really understand my place in the world and all of these sorts of things. And all of a sudden, thoughts that I look back on now and I think god oh my who was that guy mm. like where did these thoughts come from mm. and I you know I feel like I'm a fairly mentally stable bloke when it comes to that sort of stuff and I've, I've definitely become way way better at being open now when I'm not in a good space or or whatever but for anybody listening to this who thinks you know that that'll never be me I you know th- there's a series of events in anyone's life that can take place that that you either you don't see coming or it's built up over years or you have you haven't dealt with something previously well enough that it now rears its head and so all everything that you're talking about there i I think is absolutely massively important it's massively important because we all go through trauma and as i said to you i used to blame people for everything it was always somebody else's fault but i had to i had to get to the bottom of this trauma i had to find out why why I was eating, drinking, doing, going missing, doing all these things. I needed to get to the bottom of it. So I think that that moment for me, you know, thinking that was the end of my life, that I was going there to die and, and you know, no one would miss me because I'm just this pathetic kind of human being. Um, that was all the thoughts. That was just my dark thoughts telling me that. And those thoughts are horrible. But I remember that moment. So I, I, went, and, I went and worked for, for the next six months. I worked for the council in Birmingham. I moved out of house and I went and lived at this place. And I did six months of it. And do you know what? It, for them to break me, they had to... I did some therapy with animals and they had to break me. That, 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 I'm not going to go through on this. It's too long. But finally they broke me one day and I must have cried for nearly two weeks. Really? I couldn't stop crying. I could not. And then once that the tears had all come out, it was almost like everything had gone from my system. There was mm-hmm. nothing left in me. And I, this is this is the point I knew. I, I didn't have a clue who I was. I, I'd, lost, I'd lost a lot of memory. The last 20 years I'd lost because I'd literally been living in this bubble but I was also clear of all this, this, this trauma and all this stuff yeah, that's going through my head. Yeah. It was, it, you, people say about being reborn. I don't mind saying that. I felt reborn because I felt like, you know, the weight started dropping off me. Um, I fought more clearer. I had techniques in place to help me deal with anything that was going to happen to me in the future. And I, I took that year I had, I went from about 18, 19 stone down wow. to about 15, 14, something like that. By, by, again, Taking myself out of the craziness. Fortunately enough, my wife looked after me on it, and, and, and at that time, it was it was very interesting. But having that time at home allowed me to kind of rebuild my confidence. I started reconnecting with industry again. I started going out and showing my face, and I got a brilliant job. You know, a brilliant job at the London Clinic on Harley Street, which I absolutely the two years I had there, and I'll always be grateful for them for giving me that opportunity because I was consultant chef looking after people with cancer, very well helped net worth people. But but also it was just the wonderful, wonderful time for me to kind of 
use my empathy, the stuff I've gone through, being sitting there with somebody who's got cancer and he's really ill, I was able to put myself in their shoes. And, and, and I don't know, that, 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 that therapy there, that two years of therapy working there, almost kind of it changed me again. It changed yeah. me. And again, my eating habits. So, you know, we talk about mental health and nutrition. You know, my eating habits, you know, totally went off the chart. I went totally plant-based for about five or six years and just ate really clean. And when you're in that mo- when you're in that feeling of being clean, just in terms of your whole body, it's really weird. It's almost like you can hear your body. There's no noise right. in your head. You hear your body moving. It's like, this feels really good. This feels really nice. You know, and then, you know, from there I went, came, came to back story. And um, the rest I say is history. But I guess, you know, if I hadn't had that happen to me, you mentioned earlier, I don't know where I'd be. I don't think I'd probably be here now, if I'm brutally honest with you, because I was going down that that track of just not wanting to be around anymore. And yeah. But for me, having that moment and I've been able to look back on it and not say, you know, look at all the mistakes I've made. No, I didn't make any mistakes. Life happened to me. It just so happened some of it was public. Life happened to me. And do you know what? I look back on it now thinking, no one really cares about my pot sometimes because everyone's got, we've all got stuff going on in our, in our lives that have affected us. Yeah. But if I can just help one person, you know, just, and, 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 and you know, just along that journey, with my story, then that's that's all I want. I've never, I don't talk a lot about my journey, and people know some of it, but I think there's more depth to it. But I think the rea- what I'm trying to say is this industry allows you a way back in, and it also allows you to grow in different parts of it. One area might not work for you, but another area will. Yeah, and and, and yeah, and that's that's kind of how I, today. You know, I still get miserable some days. I like to go and put my slippers on and play my my, my lovely dog Buttercup. You know, she's my kind of therapy these days. Yeah, um, our dogs are great therapy, aren't they? I, Oh, it's just the best thing ever. But that that time's allowed me, you know, especially recently, over the, you know, that time over the last kind of um, few years, it was really tough. And, you know, and we went into we went into lockdown, didn't we? You know, I mean, lockdown was yeah, indeed. And and this is the the thing, right? Is that that's the lockdown definitely made me aware of the fact that kind of you know any, anything can come along at any time and derail you. Like, you know, I work in recruitment and, you know, obviously with an industry being shut down, my industry requires a buoyant industry to be successful. So when that happens, you know, I I went through all manner of stuff at the time thinking about what, how have I ended up here? What I've made, I've made bad choices through my life to end up in this situation. But the fact of the matter is, is that nobody had the tools to know what to do next in that situation and there's almost an inevitability about that isn't there that the fact that there's always going to be something that co- comes along that challenges you and i think the good well so the good thing is the reality was we're all in it the whole the whole world was yeah. involved in this one massive thing and i think you know we talk about dark days and, and when things happen the unpredictability of what was you know we thought would be a couple of weeks and what, what it turned into you know and i used a lot of my skills my survival skills i'm going to call them my survival skills because that's yeah, yeah. important these days I used a lot of my survival skills helping myself get better, you know, um, in that time. So, you know, because it was, we're, we're, people are suffering now still from that. We're still not over that. What totally. happened and mentally, our brains are still not you know, working. But I think, you know, when I use my, I guess, I guess when it happened, you know, that negativity started falling on the place. The sca- everyone was scared. There was a real dark cloud over everything. I think, you know, if the Andy of old would have just gone into kind of lockdown. All right, let's eat, let's drink, let's do whatever we need to do to get by. You know, that'll make everything better. No, yeah. Let's go and help people. You know, let's go and help the community. Let's get to know your friends and neighbours. And I actually found that time the most rewarding of my career. The toughest, apart from my, you know, what I just talked about, but yeah. that, that time as a career where people came together, we came together as an industry to help 
the homeless, the sick, the NHS. Yeah. It was what was incredible. You know, we 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 just literally looked out for each other, you know, and, yeah. that, and I, I love that time. I fed the local hospital near me in Surrey, you know, we for the first six weeks of that, and it gave me purpose. Yeah. That time gave me purpose. I don't know what you felt when you were doing. I mean, it, it's... Yeah, well, I, this podcast got started. That gave yeah, me purpose. Yeah, 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 for sure. And I, I I think I was going to do that anyway. I was, I was It just so happened that the uh, pandemic came along and because there was nothing else to do, as it were, but uh, let's just get the podcast off the ground. And maybe... In a weird way, it helped me because perhaps I'd been procrastinating about launch dates and all of these sorts of things because you know other work was getting in the way. But yeah, I, I learned through that period, especially through talking to so many different people, just it reminded me just how many amazing people work in this industry. And we forget that sometimes. We get bogged down in the day-to-day stuff and we're always talking. It never seems that we stop talking about the problems that exist. but actually beyond the problems that would exist in any other industry as well. Every industry has its own individual problems is that, you know, underpinning our industry is just a massive collection of people who give a shit and they want to do good by themselves and those around them. And yes, there are idiots in amongst that, but that's the same in any industry as well. But your your points really about the in terms of what something like this does to you, I think it just makes you question everything about yourself. And yeah. and I haven't been to the the level of trauma that you have in your your life and and careers so far. I, touch wood. Hopefully, you know, I uh, I never get there. But I think the things that I've I've learned through the years and speaking to people is that actually speaking to people is the greatest gift that you can give yourself you know it's not about take it's just about giving yourself over to somebody and giving the fullness of yourself to them and if that means that you're having problems at a certain time give them that as well don't just give them the good stuff and it's you know i I suppose in a uh here i go i'm going on one of my rants i suppose it's like social media now everybody's Social media profiles is just rammed full of their holiday pics when they're out for food and all of that sort, all the good stuff. But nobody ever sends a message saying, Do you know, I'm really struggling today. Anybody around for a coffee? Because we still haven't got there as a society. I think the first reaction when you hear somebody say that online is they go, oh, they're just looking for bloody attention. Mm. Yes, they are. And we need to give them it. That's, that's the point. Chat, chat is free. If I've learned anything, not talking about my feelings in the past, Built those layers up. Now I don't stop talking about it. <laughs> and then, you know, and, yeah. that, and the good thing about that is I can get vulnerable. You know, so if I'm coaching somebody, one of a team, I'll get vulnerable with them. You know, and that normally opens the doorway. Yeah, it's yeah. really, really important that we we, we 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 do open up. And I'll say again, it's so important because otherwise, you know, it's it's just a dark place it can take you. And I think if I've learned anything over the last you know few years doing this role, it's all my experience of what happened. And again, I don't do this for pity. I'm not looking for anything like that at all. I've been able to kind of change as a person and be more mindful of what those around me. Yeah. I never used to be, you know, a very happy chef. I was always probably, if you probably talked to you, probably didn't mean long enough. If you talk to some chefs, they might say I was a bit of a dick because I, I managed with authority because that's how I was taught. Yeah. You know, I didn't think, oh, hang on a minute, somebody's dog's died or whatever, let's give them a day off. I think now we have to be more mindful of it. And you talk about social media, we focus on the negative. You know, the, the, the picture of the Queen the other day on Twitter shaking the new Prime Minister's hand. Everyone's going on about her hands, saying she's got charcoal over her hands. And oh, for why, God's what, sake. what are you focusing that for? I think, I like you said, 
you have to focus on the kind of positives in life. And I think now more than ever, I mean, I'm also the um, well-being ambassador for the Craft Guild of Chefs UK. So I, I'm kind of, it's a new role. I've been doing it for two years. Um, we do a lot of stuff around mental health, professional health day. And we do a lot of videos, a lot of talks around that, um, just to open up to know that there's somebody there to talk to. And we're very public with it as well. And that's good. And what I find is my social media, especially on Instagram, I get loads of people come to me on Messenger, which is brilliant. You know, the yeah. people that reach out to you, if you do a post that isn't a positive post, if you, well, it's positive, but it's also a real post. It's authentic. It's about life. People do reach out to you and they've got ways of doing that. And they can do that in ways that's private still. Yeah. 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 You don't have to air your issues into the public domain for sure, you know, no. but, um, but don't keep them to yourself. I think that's no. the, yeah, absolutely. Superb, mate. Thank you so much for being so open uh, about your journey. I know when we had our initial chat about this, I was um, I was very excited to have this talk because I, I'm I'm at this podcast will always go and try and find the fun, and we've shown some fun moments as well for sure. And you're, but I think it's also important that people take away the right messages. If there's learnings to be had from other people's stories as well massively massively important and your message is one of incredible hope i think as well is that anybody listening to this who maybe let's face it we're still there's still quite a lot of crap to deal with out there at the yeah. moment is that just don't deal with it on your own you know go and find somebody and that might be the most difficult conversation that you've ever had to have in your life but it will be yeah. worth it for sure it, it will be the hardest part is when you take that first step and you pick up a phone to one of the chat whatever's going on in your mind there's somebody there either, either way there's some great industry charities you know like hospitality action you've got my black dog very incredible yeah. but there's in, you can pick up a phone you can do it in you can do it in almost private and that's the thing here and i'll say this as well you know if it is some if there is something going on chances are it might happen to someone else it might happen to someone else never be afraid to reach out a loved one a family member a friend a stranger a colleague pick up the phone there's always someone there i know it's easy to say there's always somebody there but there is always somebody there you know that next person you walk past to on the street that person might be the person you could reach out to don't judge people either don't don't judge people because we've all got stuff going on but try and be empathetic um yeah. and try and just be human i think if we all try and be human the next few months are going to be tough but we've got if we, if we come together like we did in the pandemic you know we can help as many as we can through this time so yeah yeah it's 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 we've all got our trauma it's all we've all got bits of it in us but just um yeah make that first step make that first step and, and ask for help if you can yeah absolutely excellent well i'm we're going to leave on a high i'm going to uh ask you not that this has been a low by the way i that should <laughs> just clarify that i'm just going to ask you what your top three reasons why somebody should come and join hospitality as a career yeah i think talking about all the stuff I've just done, I was trying to think back, you know, in the last few years, who's helped me the most and what I've achieved. I think for me, you'll, you'll find the most incredible creative environment, no matter where you work. You might not like working in, you know, contract catering or restaurants, but you might find a pub that you enjoy working in. Every single part of hospitality, you can get creative. And that's what I love the most about it. You can get as creative as you want. And if you work in the right team and you find the right team, you know, go and go and have a laugh. It doesn't matter what you do for a living now, you can transfer that skill into hospitality because you, yeah. whether it's serving food or where it's cooking food. So yeah, it's very it's an, it's an amazing creative environment. You'll find everything you need from a personal development point of view, collaborations and mentors. The good thing about what I would recommend is when you find the right place, look out for those people that are out there doing the good stuff because you ask them to be your mentor. Because when you find a good mentor, I'm not saying mentors aren't in every other industry, but in this industry, if you find a good mentor, 
you'll, you'll find incredible, um, an incredible journey ahead of you because they'll open up potentially you never knew you had. Yeah. My mentor, a guy called John, called John Campbell, during my difficult times, he opened up so much of my box that I thought... The I John do. Campbell? The John Campbell, yeah. Wow, yeah. nice. John, John, John's, he's still a mentor to me now. He did a lot of work with Baxter Story. And he's an incredible chef. Yeah. He, was a, he was a big... He, during my dark days, that then he was the one person that I kind of connected with and I stayed with him in, in a hotel and he put me up and he cooked in his cooking school. Finding that mentor gives you hope. Yeah. But also gives you opportunity to be even better than you are today. And it's, a, it's an amazing life. You know, I've talked there about all, some of the stuff I've done. It's an amazing life, but learn from me. Just have an amazing life and pick up all the pieces along the way. Deal with stuff that happens. Talk to somebody about it and it'll get even better and better and better. You'll continue to learn. You never stop learning. You can jump from one job to another. You can go to operations. You can go to chef. You can go to general manager. Whatever it might be, you can do it. And your, your talent will be recognized. It will be recognized a lot quicker than yeah, no in doubt. our industry. And one thing, another last thing, just quickly, friendships. We might not see each other 20 years. I know, that's um, mad. But I, I, it doesn't feel like 20 years. You can bump into a chef down the road. You know, my friend uh, Richard Woods has got a job at the Caledonia Club in, in, um, in just up near High Park Corner. I went to see him the other day. I haven't seen him for a long time. Just pick up. We start talking about muscles. We start talking yeah. about... You make these friendships that will always be there. And that's 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 priceless. And they, chances are, they've kind of been through some of the stuff you've been through. And they know you on a more personal level. So that's the kind of areas I'd, I'd, I'd say, come and join us. Totally. I, you know, I, it's such a massive thing. Because I, I, the, I think it's because you kind of, you experience all the highs and all the lows together, right? And it, it, you can't help but form bonds that you've been through stuff with. Uh, you can't help but form bonds with people that you've been through stuff with. And you're right. I mean, you know, we've not spoken for years, but it feels like, you know, my leaving drinks, and I was sick on the DLR on the way home, by the way, uh, for those all those years. And I, rem- and I remember your little office. I remember that little place that you were at. It was kind of... Uh... Yeah. yeah, yeah, just down by what was it called? I can't remember now. Uh, Queen Victoria yeah. Street, it was. Queen so. Victoria Street, that was it. Yeah, I remember yeah. that little. I remember it really well. But uh, yeah, yeah. It's, sometimes we overlook the simple things, but actually, you know, friendship and kinship over years. As you, you know, if you look back on your life over twenty years and you think actually all of these people that you could now just pick up the phone to and they would take your call, it's mm. uh, yeah, it's it's quite a, a powerful thing for sure. I get people come up to me quite a lot and say, oh, Chef, how are you? And I'm so bad. I'm like, um, yeah. yes. <laughs> so when did we work together or did um, something happen? <laughs> yeah, I'm, um, I'm fine with, I'm great with faces. I have excellent facial recognition technology. Like I can say, oh, we met in a coffee shop in Paisley in 2003. And they'll go, how do you know that? I, I have no idea what your name is, though. But I, um, yeah, facial recognition is good. Thanks so much, Andy. I massively appreciate your time and sharing your story with us today and um, look forward to seeing the, what the next chapter holds. It looks like it's going to be a, a really, really interesting time for you over there. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be good. There's, look, we've got lots of good things going on in Backstore at the moment, especially on the wellness and nutrition side, but just lots of good partnerships, collaborations with great suppliers. Um, it's going to be a great time for our teams. You know, It's going to be tough, but we, we, we've got some resilient people working behind the scenes to create something that's a bit special. So yeah, it's going to be a good it's going to be a good 2020. It's going to be a good time. It's going to be a good time. We've got to, got to be positive, haven't we? Absolutely. Good man. Thanks so much, Andy. Yes, Bill. Take care. Cheers. And there we have it. What an epic journey Andy has been on, turning him into a leader in one of the most important topics out there, well-being. 
Don't forget to keep looking after each other in the face of the world's challenges. It's massively important. I'll be back again next Wednesday at 8pm telling more stories from the awesome humans within hospitality. But until then, thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next week.